0: Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. This week our guest is Cam Northway. Now, Cam is the founder of a drinks agency called Sweet and Chili. They officially launched in 2006 in the UK, providing high end drink services to alcohol companies and bars. They do things like cocktail menu design, special event cocktail production, and consultancy to brands putting on their events. Having done all that in the UK, he's now returned home to Australia and he's also launched here. Now they offer a range of services from training up to 10,000 bartenders each year through advising the biggest hotel chains and alcohol brands about how to build their bars and their restaurants. I want to talk about the changing face of nightlife around the world and how Cam has been able to capitalise on the huge market out there. It's massive. I also want to find out how he's managed to grow all this without any real business experience and I want to hear about the journey and the problems and the solutions. So let's get into it. Cam Northway, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Uh, sometimes uh, alcohol is not considered cool. Sometimes governments will try to shut everything down. And not too often do I hear someone doing what you're doing. Why don't you explain how you actually got into servicing the alcohol industry? Is that a good way of putting it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's the uh, it's the business of drinks that we do. Um, I come from a bartender background. Hospitality was my passion when I was a little bit younger. Um but you know it's a love for labor hospitality. You work long hours, you work uh, for not as much pay on sociable hours. Um, but I did love the industry. So when I saw a little bit of a gap in the market, that's when you know I decided that you know there could be a business made. I'd, I actually always wanted to own my own business. and when I was younger, I thought maybe that would be in the sporting industry because I was obsessed with sports. And as I grew older and And sports fell away and hospitality became a passion that became a thing. So when I saw a bit of a a gap in the market, it was very much about what a marketing company is not servicing the drinks companies for, what a catering company is not servicing the drinks companies for. And that's when I thought, well, we we have an opportunity here to be able to deliver what those brands, those big drink brands want their bartenders, what they want their consumers to be drinking, not what is currently being drunk. So we ended up creating this business, Sweet and Chili, it was to service these big brands, predominantly, um, to make sure that what they wanted to be happening, better drinking, premium drinking, to be actually happening on the front line.
0: So, interestingly, you said you always wanted to be in business for yourself, I guess, is what you said. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that part. Why why did you feel that? I mean, what was the, uh, you know, sort of compelling feeling that you had about being in business for yourself, no matter what the business was?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, From a young adolescent, I always wanted to have my own business. Um, I had some family friends who owned restaurants or pubs. Um, Another had a sports store actually. And it was just, there was something about having your own business that I thought is successful. You've made it. Um, I never saw myself as I'll be working in a big office in an IT firm or as an engineer, as a bunch of, you know, hundred people. I always thought I'll have my own business. I'd never thought it would be this business. I never thought it would be this successful. Um, I just thought a small business that I got to be my own boss would be something quite entertaining when I was younger.
0: So that that's an important factor though. So you had a drive to have your own business, mm-hmm. um, whatever it may be. And then you said to me that uh, you were passionate about hospitality, passionate mm-hmm. about it. I mean uh, – I mean, everyone's passionate about hospitality. They all like to go have a drink, I guess. Um, <laughs> but what do you mean by the being passionate about... Some more about, than others. Why don't you... I don't understand. What do you mean by the, being passionate about the business of hospitality? Explain it to me. Like, what
1: is it about that gets you excited? Yeah, sure. The, I actually started business management to take on, you know, learn how to run my own business. So that was my studies when I was younger. Um, in the meantime, I needed a job. I started working in a restaurant I fell in love with the restaurant so much that I deferred my studies. And then when I took up my studies again, I went back into hotel management. So I really took it seriously. Um, I was always the kid at high school who was organising the parties. I was always the kid who was organising the get-togethers. I was a very sociable person. Studying was certainly not my strong point, Um, but certainly people hanging hanging, and entertaining people was certainly a uh, a passion of mine. And I found that in hospitality, I got to do that. I got to meet new people all the time. I got to serve new people all the time. I got to make sure they were having a great time. Um, and there's something about that that I found a real passion and romance in.
0: So the, the, two, the first two key ingredients is that, one, you want to be in business for yourself. That's a driver. And the second one is you were passionate about the business you ended up being in because you just loved, I, I guess, I mean, it's hard to articulate, in this in this discussion sort of the words but it's about um organizing loving organizing get togethers and the social aspect of it not for you so much but the social aspect of what you're observing yes and what you're achieving for them
1: yeah and i think a a lot of people go around and they're trying to find what they really want to do i found it quite young um and i put all my energy into it and all my drive into it
0: so what was the problem then that you took these two desires and passions and the skills you build up around it, what was the the problem you try to solve
1: well you going we were going to lots of events that we were you know uh, uh, being asked to come on last minute or oh, can you make some drinks at this event we 've got this amazing chef we 've spent a lot of money on all the glassware all the dinnerware um, we 've got the a list of a list people attending this event, and then we're serving cheap beers, cheap champagne, no cocktails uh you know just basic drinks, and it wasn 't adding up there was no um, so I don't know. So I will be there though. So yeah. you were going to events. We were we were working. UN. and yeah. Who's we? Uh, people in the industry. Just that, other people. You know, when I was younger. So years.
0: so you were going to these events, and you just thought they were executing a crap.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like they. There was just. We were going. We were working in cocktail bars, and you know, or myself, I was working in cocktail bars, and you know. The love of labor working so hard, creating new recipes, new ingredients, sourcing everything, and creating these amazing drinks and amazing experiences within our bars. but then you go to events and there's, there was it wasn't being replicated, so we thought well we could take what we're doing in these cocktail bars and we could do it at these events and really blow people's minds like
0: you mean an event for an alcohol company or an event for um i don't know you know Apple or Google or Channel yeah. 9 or something. You know. Yeah.
1: We, now we have a broad range of clients. So it started very much with alcohol brands. Um, and we knew that they were sponsoring these events because they would come on and be like, okay, well, we're going to do the vodka drinks, the entry cocktail. And the cocktail was terrible. So we thought, well, we can go to these guys and say, well, hire us and we'll execute everything. And people will not only have a great drink, but they'll have a great experience of your brand. Um and that's sort of where it really and you, started. And
0: you would employ them, bring the staff? I mean, so you just we take, would, o- take over the...
1: We would do everything. So right. we would source the ingredients, source the staff, the bars, and, and really try to replicate what we were doing in these fantastic bars at events.
0: Okay, so you took your skills out of those small environments and you spread it into large environments and you pass on to other people
1: exactly. working for
0: you and you, t- you instructed them how to uh, execute on the skills that you'd learned in other places, which you know that people liked.
1: Exactly. Okay, yeah. so...
0: So what did you do with this? I mean, I mean, I read in the intro there that you uh, went off to the UK to tell me about that sort of journey, that story. How, yeah. how did it all get bigger?
1: It all got bigger uh, actually in the UK. So that's where I met my business partner, Alan Gage, and he had been working on this for a couple of years. Um, it was a bit of a part-time job. He would authored a couple of cocktail books. Um, so I found, I'd hunted him down. How did you brought, find him? Well, it was actually uh, a freak coincidence so i went to a big bar show big expo so all the best brands there the bartenders were there and i was on my uh, last few bob in the uk pretty broke I why thought.
0: were you were you in the uk in the first place
1: uh i i wanted to travel right okay. hospitality and travel was certainly something that i you know had to do and i felt that i'd achieved all i could in perth so i wanted to go to the uk i thought that was the easiest place to go i had a couple of friends there um and then I made it a, uh, a mission to save up enough money. So I had $10,000 when I went. I soon found out how quick $10,000 could go in the UK. Yeah, not very long. Not very long at all. I thought I was a millionaire when I went over, but you know it didn't last long. So I went to this bar expo. I, um, I hunted down this stand. Um, why this, stand? Tell me why. It was uh, sponsored by Bicardi and I'd done some work with Bicardi in a very similar fashion back in Australia, trying to introduce better drinking experiences for them. Um, I explained what I did, and they said, we've got one spot on an event tomorrow. It's at the Isle of Wight Festival. The Rolling Stones will be playing there. The Foo Fighters will be playing there. You won't see any of that, though, because you'll be working on the bar. So I said, that's perfect. I'll um, I'll come along. And uh, and that's where I met Alan, my but business
0: you, partner. But you, you you said, I'll come along as a bartender or bartender, I'll, I'll, I'll make cocktails yeah. with your yeah. Bacardi. Yeah, yeah, right, with right.
1: them. And I was just, uh, there were 70 staff heading over um, and I was just one of those. And uh, I guess I stood out. Um, I had got a really good rapport with my business partner. And I st- ended up working every event for him for the next year. So pretty what much. What was he doing there though? He was doing a very similar business there. He'd just set up two years before I did. And it was a part-time gig for him. Um, doing and then what? Though? What was he doing? Uh, uh, just what I was saying. So he was doing, um, trying to take those drinks to those brands at events um, and executing. Well, this
0: part I don't understand, Cam. So you take those drinks to those brands. What, what do you mean? Like you take um, cocktails that he's made up to Bacardi? Correct. Right. So he yes. would say, "Listen, I've got this Bacardi drink.
1: We'd create Cocktail. a signature drink. Yeah. And we say, you know, you need a signature drink. You need something that people are going to recognize you by."
0: Um, like not Bacardi and Coke, Bacardi and exactly, something. Exactly. So
1: oh. over, uh, in that time, 2006, I think we were pushing the Bacardi Mojito. Um, and then we took that to festivals and a few other signature drinks. And so we would, um, they would spend quite a bit of money to be at the festival. And then we would staff it. We would build it. We would, they be Bacardi? Yes. The Bacardi, Bacardi, Bacardi go
0: along to all these various festivals and they take you and your now business partner along with you. Yes. yes. Because you guys could uh, express their their ingredient into a cocktail that hopefully everyone liked.
1: Exactly. So people have a great experience and hopefully that translates into sales for Bacardi once they've left the festival. Right.
0: And then how did Bacardi measure these things?
1: Uh, there's various different ways. How much we sold on the day, um, how... You have to
0: sell what? You have to sell the...
1: the we the, were selling the product at the festival. The,
0: the cocktail. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So we uh, we sold 80,000... I think one festival we sold 80,000 mojitos. So that was just in a bar in the middle of Two of you? No, there was about... 40 bartenders working on that. Right. One. Yeah, that'd be a bit much for us. But, yeah, uh, I was going to say. Yeah. But there's a lot of that's like, a lot of men. So,
0: so 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 what you say is that you two are like the two guys and they give you 40 people to help you. Or we help you menu everything.
1: We we we're a one-stop shop. So they'll say this is the brief. This is what we want to achieve and then we'll go out and pull it all together. Do the they give you a food. budget? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, they say look, here's enough money to employ 40 people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool. Get
1: them to here, get them to, th- that event was the Isle of Wight, so get them out to the Isle of Wight, house them, look after them, get them back, get them fed. Yeah, right. And make sure, you know, get the uniforms and make sure w- we turn up well. So for them, it's very much a below-the-line marketing activation. Yeah. Um, but a drinks brand, what we were finding is, you know, the one thing you have to nail as a drinks brand is it has to be a good drink. And people weren't doing that. They were making rubbish drinks when you went is to Is that place. right? And we thought, well... You know, we can make great drinks and if you're going to spend this much money to be at the festival and to look good, you might as well at least make the drink taste good as well. Well,
0: how'd you pitch this into Bacardi? Um, How'd you do your pitch?
1: The the pitch, and I'll take one from Diageo here who we work with now. Um, You better
0: explain who they are.
1: Yeah, Diageo are the largest spirits brand in the world, so they own Johnny Walker, Smirnoff, Gordon's Gin, Tanqueray, um, various other spirits. And what we said to them is, you know, we've got a bunch of ambassadors um, that can work for you. Can, you explain what they are. Yes, yeah, so an ambassador can go and promote the brand in restaurants, hotels, cafes. Um, are they, they can, famous
0: people? Are they sportsmen, or are they they're just generally
1: dudes? well known in the trade, in the industry, but not necessarily consumer facing. Right. But I think that's the next step. They'll, they'll start hiring some famous people to start promoting their brands. Yeah. Um, but we're very much concentrating not on the consumer lens, but very much the trade lens. Um, so we'd hire ambassadors. We said we could do training within all these well, I'll take you back a step, yes, Cam, yes, again. Because
0: a lot of people don't understand this, and you, I think you sort of take it, take it for granted everyone understands what you're talking about, and they don't because yeah. the people here are listening, they're thinking, well, how does he do this stuff? <laughs> yeah. So how do you find an ambassador?
1: Uh, th- we're very connected to the industry. So we know... Which means
0: what? You're networking or... Networking, we know... You're taking names down, you're recording yeah, stuff, you're we're emailing we're people.
1: Out, we're out in the bars night to night. We're yeah. meeting and shaking hands with these people. We're working alongside them. Um, and every once in a while, someone will creep up and we go, there's some talent there, we should...
0: And what do you do when you find the talent?
1: Make sure we get... Because that's your inventory. That so, is, wh- yeah. So what do you do with it? So people are definitely our... Inventory. Inventory. Yeah. yeah. We offer a service and to do that we need people. Mm. So we're always on the hunt for the best of the best mm-hmm. around Australia or internationally as well. Um and we we make sure we've got we're fortunate enough now that we've got a great name in the industry and people know who we are. But in the early days it was very much like knocking bar on door to door from bar to bar, meeting every bartender, getting their contact, getting their name. Um Would you get them to make you a drink? Absolutely. So yeah, must we, we, we sloshed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a um it's Sometimes your social life and your work life get a little bit blurred. Yeah, definitely. But we we, we go around and we, we we make sure we build up the inventory of these bartenders. Not only you know for when we have ambassadors, but for when we have events, we can pick up these people and say we've got an event for this brand. We want you to work at, and uh, and they come work for us.
0: Yeah. So so um, you're a you're a manpower or person power business. You, you you in a way you know where to recruit people. Absolutely to fill an event hmm. uh, for a for a client yeah be it Bacardi or whoever whoever, yeah or Diage or whatever they're called that's Um, right so
1: we've specialized very much in that drinks industry yeah and we've made that our yeah okay um,
0: so why do these people want to be your ambassadors um, what's your compelling offer
1: there's a couple of different things absolutely we pay well because we need to pay well to get the best talent um is that lead
0: into your margin or is that just a, a pass on? You, you pass that through, the cost through. Do you say, listen, this is the cost of the talent and we yeah. want a margin on top?
1: A bit of, bit of both, depending on what the budget is and depending on how much we want that person to come work for us. Um, I think one of the really good aspects for coming to work with us is that they can step outside of the bar and they can start working in a bit of more of a sociable hours, a bit more of a professional. Not Not that I'm saying... Working in the bar world isn't professional, but they get to be a bit more in that corporate world. Um, And a lot of them want that experience. A lot of them will do it for a while and then head back to the bar industry as well.
0: But I guess to some extent, um, you're like a talent business. In a way. You know, you provide talent to the people who need talent. In a way. No different to what, say, television does when they want talent for a TV show or, or extras or whatever it is. Yeah. You go and find the talent.
1: And our niche is the drinks world.
0: And they don't work for you. They... They're contractors to you. You get as many as you need to get. Yeah, yeah. So we got your core group, but
1: we do, and and our core group has been with us since we've started in Australia, hmm. um, and that's 2010. We've we've got a good high uh, retainment of our staff, which is fantastic. Um, and then we've had others who come and go, but you know, stay close by as well through. Do you have
0: like? Do you have like super jocks like DJs? and you know, DJs have massive followings around the around the country, around the world for that matter. Yeah. Do you have your the super guys, like girls, people um, just desperate to, you know, be around in a bar or an event?
1: Yeah, like a lot of our, within our industry, a lot of our people that work for us have a really good reputation. And that's not just in Australia, that's globally. They've won awards or they've got recommendations. So they can walk into bars in Berlin and people would recognize them and know them. You mean
0: the consumers or the, the I in
1: within our industry, right. within our drinks industry, the bartenders or the bar managers or the you know the hospitality. So, but
0: are, they, are these guys you sort of see on these movies where they're throwing the glass up there and in the <laughs> bottle at the same time and it's filling the thing, or or uh, are they just or is it just more the skill of the mix? It's
1: the skill of the mix, and you know, to make a good drink, you need to. Theater. It's the theater, mm. you know, and and the theater is not necessarily Tom Cruise throwing bottles around these days, yeah, yeah. but it's about you know how they're moving behind the bar and and also how they're conversing with the customer, and that's a big thing because yeah. you can make a good drink, but unless you can make that customer happy and want to come back, you know, there's there's no. Because, more so got,
0: I would imagine for those people listening, and please explain to me, but I would imagine that in order to sell a really well mixed drink or a new a new mix on a drink. Mm-hmm it's about the story and you need someone to be able to tell the story of how they come up with that drink and why the ingredients are there and why they all work together. It's sort of a bit like talking to a, a wine company about their new wine or, or, you know, or a, an olive oil company talking about their new olive oil, the taste and the smell and the pepperness and the fruitiness and the color and the blah, blah. Is it like that? That's a hundred percent like that. Yeah. You know? it's yeah. Um, So therefore you need someone who can communicate as well as be likable, et cetera. Exactly. So t- explain to me then, Cam, this outcome that you have individuals who can actually tell the story and communicate in an interesting way and provide the theatre as well as knowing that they've got the r- initial skills. How do you find this? Th- and do you train these people to do this? or is that? And do you have this manualised? In other words, you say, if you want to be the best bartender and best drinks mixer, this is these are the skills you need to attain and this is how we will build the skills for you.
1: Um, there's a bit of both. We, we certainly are at a stage where we don't train from scratch. We go and pick out, you know, the best talent that's in there and then we give them the training on top of that that they need. Um, but we make sure when recruiting that they've got those attributes and they've got the ability to do it.
0: So you're a coach? In a way, in a way. and so what you've done is you've um, picked apart the process of being good at Mixing drinks, not just mixing drinks, but the whole the whole experience you've picked it apart, you've put it into little pieces, and you now know in your own mind at least it's not maybe not manualized, but you've now got in your your mind all the various components to being successful and there might be twenty or thirty variables which you probably nearly work out in a mathematical formula with mm-hmm. weighting of the various variables. As to which one is, needs more weight and which ones need less weight. So, someone might be great at the ingredients, but they might be really poor at communicating. Um, you've got weighting in your own mind, and uh, you know, therefore, exactly what you're looking for when those people fit that equation.
1: Correct. So, yeah. why don't you write it down? Have well, you written it down? Yeah, absolutely. Have you manualized it? We have, but um, managing people and trying to train them is so much harder than just giving them a manual. And totally. To no, no, no. Is, no. You so. gotta,
0: I agree with that. But I mean, this, this is your secret sauce. Yeah. So yeah. this is what makes you, your yeah. business different to everyone else's business.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and why you can, and this is what makes your, makes your business or gives your business the ability to be successful because you formularize it, and um, because, and I'm not saying you've got to be formulaic, but by putting it into a formula, it means that you reduce the risks of, Stuffing it up. So you, and there, and it gives you a basis, a base to work on, to build on over time. So sometimes you might pull an ingredient out and give it a greater weighting, or you, might, I don't mean the ingredient in the drink, it's something in the formula to make someone good at it. Yep. You pull it out, give it a greater weighting, you might pull it out altogether, you might add something else into the mix to make sure that that individual who's selling this Bacardi for this particular group um, does a good job so that you get invited back.
1: Mm. That's right, and and we can give consistent results to our clients. As well. About
0: consistency, that's what formula is about. About mm-hmm. consistent consistent outcomes, known outcomes based on the inputs. Yeah. And I think that's what that's a more important thing in business, is having consistency of good outcomes. In order to do that, you need to know what the various ingredients are, the inputs, and you need to know sort of know what the weightings are of those various inputs. From time to time, they change because. De- aggregate demand, the people who would demand the outcomes, they change. They change. Yeah. Taste change. Can I just ask you, um, and I, I find it fascinating um, what you've done because you've sort of applied mathematics, um, maybe not necessarily knowingly, but you applied mathematics to the drinks industry, which, by the way, mathematics can be applied to anything to be, make sure it's consistent outcomes. Um, can I ask you, how do you keep your hand on? the market or the future of the market in other words where people are now what they want and where they're likely to be six months 12 months 18 months in other words how do you build some sort of predictive marketing around what people will want as opposed to getting caught with your
1: yeah, you know, the pants crystal, around your ankles
0: crystal ball. that was more than a crystal ball you yeah. have to be have some science around the prediction absolutely you know how do you go along to Bacardi and say listen what you're doing now is not good enough because, you know, people don't want to have Bacardi and Coke anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've got something else. We work for Johnny Walker these days. Okay, well, whatever. Johnny, <laughs> well, they, don't want Johnny, they don't want Johnny and Coke. Um, but, in fact, what they're going to want, what they want now is blah, and what they're going to want is something else. And this is the image they want around it. How do you work that stuff out?
1: And that that's a really good point because it's one of the key parts of our role in our services to these drinks brands because they always want to stay ahead of the trend. Um, And with the talent that we've hired, they've come on maybe from the bar industry or bartenders. And we've been able to expand our service from just doing events to starting to doing consultancy, whether that be for the brand or for a venue, uh, whether that be training. And we use all of these skill sets within house now to start doing trend reporting. And we're looking overseas. We're looking into other markets we're even looking into local markets and we spend a lot of time having to make sure that is that happening is that a trend or is that just a and do
0: you drive thing? the do your guys drive the trend i mean we do yeah yeah do, i mean does much. one of your fancy bar people uh come up with a new idea and everyone goes whoa that's the new trend because social can drive trends and if someone's on trends you know on social rather they can build trends
1: yeah we, we try to drive as many trends <clears> as possible and we what we'll do is we'll come up with say ideas and then we'll take a budget from our clients and then we'll go execute activity within our industry to drive that trend. Um, some have better results than others, but yeah, we've seen some really good results yeah, so far. Well,
0: I guess so. You have to have trial and error anyway. Yeah. And um, as long as you're trying, as long as, the, as long as the trend you put up to the client, I would imagine this implies in any business, but as long as you, the trend you put up to the client who you're seeking a budget from, um has some sort of empirical evidence um sort of you sort of say listen we think the new trend is going to be about organic mint and uh you know oregano um mixed with whiskey mm-hmm. um because people now want to have uh Some attachment to their to to the you know Greek civilization back in 2000 years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, and the reason we say that is because we've been following Instagram in Ibiza, and uh, all the people, all the influences in Ibiza are sort of talking about this thing that's going cool or this new form of music that's coming up, and therefore the mix, the new drink mix equals the music. I mean, is that, is that the sort yeah, of science you use?
1: It is. It's funny that you mentioned social because at the start, we didn't take social as, a, as something that we would take trends by. But now it's something you can't deny because mm. everybody's using it and everybody's posting on it. So, so we actually use social. Um, we look at what's happening in the best bars around the world um, from top end bars to mainstream. Um, we look at what those staff are doing. Where are they,
0: these places? I mean, are there New- known places? Like, is it New Absolutely. York and London and yeah. Paris or something like that? All
1: of the above. You know, yeah. there, there's, some, there's some well-known places that um, you've probably heard of. but there's <laughs> Doubt a, it. Well, <laughs> Not much of a drinker. <laughs> um, even in Australia. And, and in, oh, well, so, tell me in Australia. So, where, where, where? so the Black Pearl down in Melbourne, that's no been idea. one yeah. of Australia's most awarded bars. You've, right. you've been ne- there? Never, no idea, sorry, Okay, well, know. you have to go there, see yeah. Chris Heistead. He'll look after you. Um, and Baxter's Inn. Yeah, under our own noses Where's here in is he? That's on uh, just off George Street, and it's down in um a basement.
0: Is it a whiskey bar? It, it is a whiskey bar. Yeah, right.
1: and they've um they've been in the top 50 of the world's best bars for the last few years right and that's just here in sydney so, so and is that
0: because they, they they come up with the cool cool ideas i mean or, or you, and do you have someone posted in there to see what the bartenders are making or do you yeah, know the bartenders we, yeah
1: we, we know those bartenders they work for a lot of our events and, we and who owns elaborate. that stuff i mean does Baxter are saying
0: on oh, that's our stuff you're pinching or uh, uh who, who, who who owns the ip the intellectual property around these ideas
1: yeah that's a that's a tough one um well, who would claim they own it? I think with any industry, whatever you do, it's hard to claim a trend. Um, you can try to claim a trend, but a lot of people will just, you know, use that and jump on it. So, um, for us, we're not trying to claim any trends. We're just trying to make sure that if we're starting a trend, that we're really seeing that through and making sure our clients get a return on investment at the end of the day from it. I, you know, I reckon. Um
0: There'd be um, and what was the name? Who were the two guys you here last week? Um Put their names again. Our last podcast, the mathematician guy and the f- Spriggy. Spriggy, Yes. Um, which one was the guy with the math? The mathematician. What was his name? The bigger guy of the two. Yeah, Alex. I reckon if you you sat down with someone like those two guys, one was a physicist and mm-hmm. the other guy was a mathematician. I reckon if you sat down with those those guys, both of them I would suggest. um or something like that, you could probably build an algorithm around how you determine a workable trend and a non-workable trend um, based on um, weightings of um, social. So you could actually use social in a formula that a computer could be continually spitting out uh, which direction you should be going. And And to me, that would be if you put mathematics as the basis or or proper formulas, proper data, I'm Mm -hmm. talking about data now, using data, social data um, that builds trend lines around a product or an experience would be really a compelling thing to take to someone like, um, you know, the Johnny Walkers of the world or whoever whoever owns them and or the other brands for that matter. And probably the bars because all of a sudden you could really set yourself out as being something totally um, outside of the box, as opposed to everything being in your head, yeah, you know, which is because you. you're working on instincts and your experience and skills. You're yeah. saying my experience and instincts tell me, based on what I see here, taste, sense, uh, that this is going to work. If you could back that up with a, a formula and that says, and by the way, data, the data set, when we apply our software to it says that this is more likely to be successful than than this mm. if that backs your instincts it's really powerful yeah I that's might steal that idea pretty cool <laughs> you can have it right. there's no IP it's, it's a trend <laughs> but, but, but it's a new thing that's happening in it everything is. in everything not just it what is. you're doing in everything but if you could apply this new concept this new business tool to the drinks industry mm. that'd be pretty powerful from, from your point of view
1: to back anything up when you're trying to sell something in, really helps. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: I I want to talk about data, but we've got to go to the break. So, and when we come back from the break, we might just talk about, you know, the new world of the drinks industry and how data and social has become pretty important. Sounds good. Let's go to the break. Welcome back, Cam. Thank you. (laughs) Before the break, we're talking about, uh, you know, data sets and how you can use Instagram and social media, which these sorts of things can actually develop a brand or a, or, um, a proposition around a, either a place or a bartender or a particular type of drink or, yeah, why, and drives people to that venue. And what's interesting, I was observing the other day, like I'm on the board of the Sydney Roosters and, you know, we've got a massive licensed premises and 40 years ago, um, that place was the place to go. In fact, when you walk in there, there's a photograph of people lining up, but then they all had suits on, they had hats on, old school stuff. It might have been longer than 40, maybe 50 years ago, this photograph. And I, and I often wonder myself when I went to the board meeting, why don't people go to the club like that anymore? And then I started thinking about the Watson's Bay Hotel, um, which is a, I think is a Laund- Craig Laundy uh, family hotel. And... The Roosters, the Eastern Suburbs Club, is sort of enclosed. It's in Bonner Junction. There's no view. There's poker machines. It's probably got an older sort of market associated with it. You go to the Water Bay Hotel, you know, New Year's Day, that's the place to be. People pay up a couple hundred dollars for a ticket to to spend their day there or the evening there. But the drinks aren't special. It's still, again, just beer and the same sort of stuff the Eastern Suburbs Club, but it's got a great view. And it's got this sort of magical... Sort of aura about it. Um, then you go to a place like you just said, Baxter's, mm-hmm. and Baxter's got no view; it's in a gr- underground. Yet people dying to get in there. So, how do these places build these reputations? I mean, how, how's, how how do you and do you advise on this sort of stuff? Do you can you do you look at people like the East Suburbs Lees Club or some of the big hotels in town? The, I am mean, talking about the accommodation hotel chains, and try and work out how to get people away from one venue into their venue.
1: Absolutely. It is something that is part of um, a push that we're really working on at the moment, and we f- feel that would be a big part of our business over the next few years. Um, there's a real romance to going to hotels overseas, and you go yeah London, totally. there's the Savoy, the Connaught Hotel, you go to America, there's hip hotels in New York, like the Standard, um, at LA. You can't Ramon. even get into the Standard. Well, you can't. You know, yeah. I had to
0: stay in the hotel. To, to be at, I actually booked a room in the hotel so I could get to the bar.
1: Yep, the Ace Hotel. There's those there's those examples, and people do. They actually book that accommodation to stay at that hotel. And it's not just the people who are staying at the hotel. It's the locals that are being driven there and going to those places. I find in Australia... Is it because
0: women, famous people go? Um, they,
1: they do a couple of different things. But I find the biggest problem in Australia is that the F&B... Parts food and beverage, of, yeah. The food and beverage parts of hotels have just been left to die.
0: Um, the cornflakes and milk and uh, <laughs> white bread and toast and stuff that they put under you, in your room at breakfast time—it's it, part of that whole process. And bar isn't special.
1: Yeah, and and you you, you just made. Mention of the breakfast. I, I can't remember the last time I actually stayed in a hotel and had, had a breakfast there in Australia because generally there's a really cool cafe just down the street where Correct. I can get my avo and toast, my flat mm. white. And, and, you,
0: and the experience. You want to experience. And the experience. And you yeah. want to say I went there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you can Instagram it too and totally. tell your friends about well,
0: it. Well, yeah, but it's no, I agree. There's, there's no point saying, like, if there's one around the corner, you're right. I mean, I often stay in New York, and you know, I might stay in the Four Seasons, and the breakfast there is as is expensive as poison. Yep. I mean, I'm not You can... Eighty bucks on breakfast. Wow, it's nothing. It's just anyway, but you you think it's a way? I might I rather go around the corner to some little funky joint that's new, and and uh, just so uh, at least I experienced it. Mm. But it's a cool place, and I'll look for it on Instagram.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you you'll find out. I'll find it on social. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, so I find that. Um, so how do you drive them back? Well, at the moment, a lot of Australian hotels have noticed this. They've noticed that trend that they're missing out on F&B sales within their hotels. People want to stay there because they're great rooms. People like hanging out there in the lobby because they're great lobbies, but they don't go to the F&B parts of those hotels. They they've just almost been left to die. So we're doing work with a number of hotels at the moment where we're redesigning those sections and those sectors and trying to make them almost as if they're external looking feeling parts of the business they're
0: not part of the hotel you don't have to go into the hotel that's right so to speak
1: that's right and you go up to you know like we were talking before the standard in new york you go to the rooftop there and you wouldn't think you're at a hotel you're at new york's best nightclub rooftop um and that's what we're looking to do with a lot of venues and and a lot of hotels that are being built now or have already seen that you know they need to do something in the next Two to three years to really keep up with it. We're seeing a couple of hotels do this at the moment, like the QT. They've done a pretty good job.
0: Is so the one on the Gold Coast?
1: There's one on the Gold Coast. Uh, they did a really good one here in Sydney. Where's the, the QT in Sydney? Sydney, it is on. Um,
0: That's in, not the one that went on Finger Wharf. At, at, at no, Lodge, no, at, no. At just
1: just next to the Westfield. Right. Uh, here in Sydney. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what it is, yeah. yeah. and they've just done a good job. They've, they've, you know, you wouldn't feel like you're in a hotel there, and that's where you've got to go to because you've got to keep up with your um, competition, and the competition are getting more innovative every single day with their with their offering. And you
0: don't wanna, you're don't, right. You don't want to go past the lobby and see the, you know, the luggage guy and the, you know, reception. You don't, you don't feel like doing that.
1: No, no. You're you, going and, to a bar. You're not going to a hotel. Yeah, and you don't want to sit in a dated 80s room and get a well done steak that, you know, you could yeah. have cooked yourself and why did you even pay 50? Cause you pay high prices when you go to hotels.
0: So how does someone like Hemis do it? I mean, he seems to be the, the guru of this sort of stuff in Sydney in terms of he gets hotels that are doing crap. You know, like he buys them for one price and then he turns around and they're also extraordinarily valuable. Has he, does he get people? Is that what he does?
1: He invests in people big time. Um, you know, you look at his management team and the team across the board, they're amazing. Um, but he is extraordinary in the way that he does things. We do a bit of work for um, the Merivale Group. And what they've done is, like, I'm in awe because they've taken, they're buying and buying and buying venue after venue and they're flipping them. And from somewhere where you couldn't get five people to go into, apart from a few people using the pokies, they're making up the place around town and they've got lines down the street. Could you do that? Could I do
0: that? Yeah, could you? Like, let's, if I found a pub that was. Let's say it was in Paddington or or Balmain or like, a decent sort of area, mm. Glebe or something like that, and uh, it was just, but it was just being used as a, just the pub and the locals always go and have their schooners to sit in the corner and play pokies and blah blah. Do you reckon you could turn one of these things around?
1: We certainly advise on that. Um, look, we, when we we're talking about Maryvale, they have a great database and they've they've had that. They're not just doing their first venue. They're up to 50-plus venues now. So when they have a whole team of people working and doing this. So, yeah, we could do it. Um But when we're talking about... Data. When we're talking about successfulness, you know, it wouldn't happen overnight. It would be over a a number of years. But do
0: you think that you know the industry well enough and what patrons want? Yeah, absolutely. To drive them from... To drive them to to a venue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so like if... I don't know Sofitel or Shangri La or Four Seasons in Sydney. They ask you to come in. Is that the sort of thing you would do for them? Yeah,
1: and we're actually working with a couple of those that you just mentioned. So trying to trying to increase their um their not only the service level but their offering and making sure that it stands up to their competitors who are just down the street who are offering something really cool.
0: Right, and I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you're trying you're the demand for your service, therefore, and your business's services, in Australia at least, um, is about helping people to become more, or venues become more popular and to make them pay, pay for themselves. In other words, in, in other words, it's just not being an idle bit of real estate sitting there costing them money when no one goes in the bit, it's still
1: being manned. Exactly. And the hotels, you've got to man those sections. You've got to have people, you've got to have room service open, you've got to have breakfast open. Um, we even find that some of them just shut down for lunch because back in the 90s they might have been busy with business lunches whereas now they can't get one person to walk in I remember
0: those places and, and it's interesting too because one of the things I've observed more maybe over the last 2 years in Sydney at least maybe it's the same in Melbourne too I think but big office buildings now are putting venues in the in the lobby and, um, you know, like before you walk in, lobby it's just a big empty space, mm. but now, and and people used to be in the office and they go out of the building to go to get a, get a cup of coffee around the corner because it was a funky place to get coffee around the corner. Yep. Now what these buildings are doing is that they're putting in, uh, venues in the lobby, you know, yep. restaurants, cafes, cool places. Yeah. And they're using, um. They're, they're sort of formulae because I know a couple that the a couple of buildings have got exactly the same operator doing offering the same offering, yep. and it's quite clever. It's about using our new space and making your building more attractive. What you're talking about is hotels doing something similar with um, their their drinks venue or their licensed premises. Yeah,
1: and and they you, you're seeing a lot of chefs collaborate with you know hotels and they're putting their name to it, or you're seeing brands or you know well-known restaurant or cafe brands moving into these hotels because they're like, well, maybe we're not the best at doing F&B. Maybe we're really good at selling hotels and marketing hotel rooms and making sure people get into the hotel. But how can we get people to come and use our F&B? Well, why don't we outsource that to someone else who knows what they're doing?
0: Or just get someone to be a consultant.
1: Or be a consultant. In other words, their name's
0: all over it. You know, this has been looked at by Neil Perry or... Whoever, yeah, um, and this is his menu, but yeah. which it, what airlines do with their F and B, um, not yeah, food and beverage. The airlines get Neil Perry Aquinas, I think, and, and uh, they have the same aversion, etc. Like is, yeah. a, a youth, all the thing you think something's been <coughs> blessed and ordained by these great chefs, um, and or uh, and you're doing it in a drinks environment.
1: We're doing it in a drinks environment. That's yeah.
0: correct. Yeah. So, do you use? What are the importance of social influences? Do you use influences that come off, you know, Instagram influences to promote a venue and or a drink?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a good one because <clears throat> again, at the start, I was against social media, but it's no denying that it is a real thing, and you do have to pay attention because everybody else is paying attention, and people are going to restaurants or to bars and they're taking a photo of something they've seen from their someone they follow. And they're saying, I want that. They're not coming into the bar, looking at a menu and sitting down there, just coming in and saying, hey.
0: Preconceived, I've, I want that.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen this. My friend's had that or someone I follow has had that. It's really cool. That's what I want. And,
0: and well, what about, like because I've, I've noticed Robert De Niro has his own vodka brand now. Um, I think it's De Niro. Um, how important are those people for, like, let's take a vodka brand, a vodka business who owns lots of vodka brands, because a lot of times I own lots of vodka brands, Um why wouldn't, do they come to you and sort of say, um, look, we want to create a new brand, but it's the same vodka. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, absolute, but it's not called absolute. It's going to be called De Niro for argument's yep. sake. Do they do that sort of stuff?
1: Absolutely. And there's a lot of power in what they're pushing because, you know, it's not just a bartender pushing it anymore. It's not just someone on an ad. It's someone saying, hey, this is mine. Drink it. And George Clooney just sold <coughs> his tequila for a billion dollars. Um, Did he really? Yeah, yeah so uh, sold it to Diageo. So we're hopefully getting that liquid here in Australia very soon. Um, and are it's great tequila. It? It's really Is good it? tequila. Yeah. But
0: I mean, uh, but was it him or was it somebody else got him to do it with them?
1: Uh, there was there was two or three people. Um, oh, there was there was two partners in it, and they just made small batches of it, but made really good tequila. It stands up. It's not just hey, I've put my name to it, and it's just rubbish. It's you know, it's it's good, tasty. And liquid. who are
0: these people who work out what? when something's a good taste? I mean, like, I mean, who are these uh, sort of taste gurus?
1: Yeah, taste gurus. Uh, we would do a bit of that, you know, we would go to a brand and say, hey, you need a bit more of this, you need a bit more of that. We do a lot of liquid development with different brands. So working on their flavors and how they, how they stack up. Um, but generally, it'll be a lot of the bartenders and how they perceive things. So very much as in like movies, you know, you would invite you'd have opening night and all the media would attend and they would judge whether that's a good movie or not. Um it would be sent out, you know, liquids might be sent out to bartenders and they tell you whether they think it's good or during not. During
0: the making of it or or at the conclusion.
1: Generally at the conclusion. During the making of it someone like us would, you know, help them get it to where it needs to be, but then afterwards it would have to be judged by the bartenders to be independent and actually recognized.
0: So if I said Cam, I love drinking <laughs> Uzo, or I love drinking tequila or vodka. And I said to you, let's you and me go into business, you mean me and your partner. Yep. Um, and you develop for me a drink that I'm happy to put my name to, mm-hmm. that I will drink, and we're going to launch this drink, um, one of those spirits, whatever they are, um probably too busy in the vodka territory. I mean, everyone's into it. Um, Maybe tequila might be better. I don't know. Um, Uzo's definitely not busy. It's just a few Uzo brands around, but I don't know if people even like Uzo. And, well, it used to be a big drink 20, 30 years ago. Um, Do you think you would know enough about the marketplace and enough about the trade to be able to promote me and your formula into being something successful, I mean, yeah. is that another stage for you in your business? Is that where you because that,
1: that's where we're growing to at the moment as well.
0: Yeah. Having equity in it is what I'm saying. As opposed to just getting consultancy, yeah, being being part of the equity. Because you know, I t- tell you what, what, I'm thinking about, right? It was all these beer brands, right? So Mick Fanning is now part of Bolter,
1: right? Craft beer revolution, totally. And and, what, and
0: why? Well, the only reason it's a revolution, in my view, because I ha- owned a lot of craft beers many years ago, right? Yep. Only because I just thought it would be cool to have beers, and I bought already established ones. Mm-hmm. But it was the hardest thing in the world to do. But all of a sudden, the big beer brands, well, the big breweries want to own everything because they think, well, we can't grow our own brand anymore because we're saturated. So what we're going to do is we're going to take market share by grow- having lots of little ones. So craft brewing has become popular because the big guys are sponsoring it. Basically, they're sponsoring it because they're buying them out, yeah. spending ridiculous amounts of money on them, like three hundred million, four hundred million. They go and buy these things. Mm-hmm after they've been around for a while. So all of a sudden, Blake's with Mick Fanning, who's a, you know, I'm sure Mick didn't sit around, and, and uh, I think Joel Parkins is involved in Bolt too. So they're great, but they're great brands themselves and the big social media, um, the big influence, got millions of people on Instagram. Yep. And, uh, and you know, it's, and it's beer, um, you know, so it's, it's cool. And, uh, and obviously there's a lot of business sits behind it and there's a lot of investors sit behind this sort of thing. Now they they just got voted number one in the be- number one craft yeah, beer yesterday. This la- week, yeah. La- la- yeah, this week. Yeah, last couple of days because so a mate of mine's part of it, and he told me about it. And I just thought, what? How does this phenomenon work? I guess the same thing you just told me about Clooney. I had no idea about because you know I don't really follow that stuff. But it seems to me that there's this is a new phenomenon that exists. Mm. At what stage do you have equity in one of these things as opposed to just advising and actually? Put your balls on the line and actually have a crack at it and make yep. a shitload of money out of it. <laughs> Take your experience to the nth degree.
1: Yeah, I, I, look, I I think that's an end game one day. Um, we're working with a lot of brands that we love at the moment, and we want to see them, you know, be successful. And I think if I can learn enough along the way, then eventually there might be because someone a, might one of the
0: brands you work for might say, you know what, Cam, we want to buy that from you.
1: That would be great. Yeah, and that and look, there's, there's how old are those, you now? There's those conversations happening. Thirty six.
0: You're young. You've plenty <laughs> Thank you. of time, but you, it's a good time to do it though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got enough. But it's probably the rubber's been on the road for a long, long time. Yep. You've been at doing this since what? Seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Okay, so half your life. Yep. When do you do this? Because you don't want to miss the boat. No, no. Because no. it'll become saturated here in Australia like it is everywhere else.
1: Well, that's it. You look at the craft beer in America now. You know. Sort of started there, came down to here, and and I'm already seeing gin brands pop up. There's oh, mate, Adelaide Distillery, is Tasman, Tassie, the Scotch, the whiskey, brands and, Sullivan's. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're all happening. Trying to get a to bottle happen. of that and
0: it cost me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. a good whiskey, but like to be honest with you, I can't tell the difference between that and say some of the Japanese brands, which I quite like because they're sweeter. Japanese whiskey is fantastic. Um, yeah. But uh, but it's it it won the best whiskey in the world, Sullivan's or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that, would that be right?
1: Uh, yeah. One, of, one of the, for its category. Yeah, for its category. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think, um, it's definitely on the cards and it's something we're looking at. Um, I'd love
0: to see you do something with it. I'm this, backing you. I think you yeah, could do it because I reckon you. you, I mean, but you, you know enough about the data, enough about the industry. You've got enough, it seems to me you've got enough credit in the marketplace for people to actually back you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Money's always an issue, but you know, we'll, we'll get them. I was
0: just said people will back you
1: with yeah. money I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: And it's and it's not hard to find. There's plenty of people in Australia who would lo- who drink, who would love to be. Everybody would love to be associated with a beer brand or a booze brand. I mean, it's like the coolest thing, you know. Like it's just cool. If if you you know, if you could sort of say, you know, I own, I'm I'm part of that gin brand, the vodka brand. Most of the brands that are coming out don't have a person behind them. Mick I'll- Fanning's the only one I can think of in relation to Bolter Beer, but mm. I don't really know of any other. Brands they use influencers, but they don't. Those influencers aren't owners.
1: No, they generally it's you know the brewer and it's the yeah yeah yeah. It's about
0: those individuals. It's about the uh, esoteric trade stuff. Yes, yeah. You know, like uh, this guy has got the greatest credentials, but the consumers don't know. No, they don't exactly. And what I'm saying is, there's been no consumer brand built using an influencer in Australia that I know of. You you might know of, but I but I certainly haven't seen one. Yeah.
1: Jennifer Hawkins, I think,'s got her own tequila. I'm not sure how that's going. Yeah, but, but yeah.
0: It's not yeah. Yeah, okay. Well that's that's but she's on everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I think to be honest, with you, I think consumers would say, well, yeah. But like there hasn't been a like um you mentioned before, uh, Clooney, right? Yes. Clooney's not on everything. But for Clooney put his name to a tequila, that's sort of sort of and if he's an owner, mm. sort of indicates to you well, hey, Clooney, he must have actually he wouldn't do that unless he really che- tested it out, and checked it out. Yeah, because he's a a very big, credible brand.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't just him putting a name to it; it was him investing, developing, it. and investing yeah, that's what, in what
0: I'm saying. Well. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to someone just saying, "Oh, yeah, I'll be your ambassador." Yes, I'm not talking about ambassadorships. I'm talking about dead set owners. Yep, and and a dead set owner like Loona won't do it unless he's got dead set people who can actually deliver. Yeah, the real deal. You know, yeah. like people like you.
1: Please. Well, he- Absolutely. And he has because he's he's sold that brand for a mint. Yeah. in having it for five, six years.
0: Totally. I mean, it's probably overvalued. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he, he, someone paid too much, but it's overvalued because of him, of who he is, you know. But but ordinarily, by the way, if you sold it for half, it's still doing pretty good. Absolutely. Half a billion. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. I've I, this has been intriguing to me. Um what one question have you got for me?
1: Uh look, we've had i've come from you know the drinks background and there's been a lot of learnings along the way but how do you keep staff motivated you know we've had big success over the last five to eight years that we've been here in australia and we've got a lot of our core staff still with us but how do you keep those people motivated every day to want to come back and keep working for you now that a bit of the shine has gone off the company and it's it's more it's not just, it's not
0: new anymore yeah exactly Well, there's it's an easy answer <laughs> do something new and I just told you what to do. <laughs> and give them a little bit of equity in it. Yep, give okay. them a little bit of skin in it. Even if they you don't give it to them, I shouldn't, that's wrong. Actually ask them to invest a little bit. Yep, Just a little bit of money. Even if it's $10,000 or $1,000, it doesn't matter. That way that's not, that's not a gift to them. But they value it much more if they put a little bit into it. But mm. if it's a new concept, a new – not a new concept – a new direction – even you know, And I know you're probably sensitive to not thinking you're – to make sure your clients don't think you're about to compete with them. But it, I don't think – I'll be honest. I don't think your clients would think you're competing with them. I think they. I think if you did this on the side and you do it with your staff and you come up with a new idea, just even if it, it doesn't have to be worth anything at the end of the day, it's just as long as it's something that they're doing as a pastime, mm. as a hobby, that keeps them engaged. Keep them engaged but with yeah. the potential it could become – Something big. Don't get set out to say, "Look, we're going to make this really big." Just say, Look, "Let's let's let's craft our own tequila." I don't know, whatever you know, where we source. What do you make tequila out of? Agave. Agave. Where you, where you source the the agave from from Tasmania or somewhere? You know what I mean? Like where yeah. it's an Australian product. Yeah. I'm I'm just coming up with an idea yeah, now, yeah, but no, of course. where it might not be agave. Like, but you don't want to do gin because everyone's doing gin down in Tasmania now. But like, um, you know, so, something that you can sort of say is your own. Where we all of us the twenty five core staff, we all put a thousand dollars in, um, you know, and even if they got to put it on a credit card, they put in, a th- you know, and uh, and and what we're going to do is we're all going to sit around and taste it once a month, and we're going to all everyone's included included in it, and we're going to have a hackathon around, you know, what before we do any of this, what what's the market need, what will be successful, what's happening in the rest of the world, and totally engage them, and don't just do it as a job, as, as uh, but just give them some equity in it, yeah. And make, as they make them pay for it not much just a little bit but that way everyone's doing it and yeah. uh, I reckon you'll find that they won't can't they won't they won't be they'll they they they'll be in a position where they can't wait for the day to end or the you know you might say once a month we're going to one day a month we're going to just work on this they, they'll they be in a position where they can't wait for that day to arrive or that time to arrive when they're going to work on this new business this new idea mm, I like it that's the way to do it great new is what gets people excited yeah,
1: yeah. Fantastic. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. Selling a little or a lot?